great to have you here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you learning ways to save more and spend less. And don't let anyone ever rip you off. Our websites are clark.com and clarkdeals.com. And it is really, really sobering when you see the data on initial jobless claims. The U.S. Department of Labor put out something that I saw in the financial press that shows the average number of initial claims for unemployment in a typical week in recent times and then shows what they've been since coronavirus really got on people's radar back in March. And it peaked in April with people being laid off and seeking unemployment and has trended down since late April every single week. The number of initial claims for unemployment has gotten smaller and smaller, which is definitely good news, but the overall picture remains very, very tough because we have somewhere around 21 million people who are receiving unemployment compensation plus an unknown number of millions who've had trouble still applying and getting unemployment compensation. Typically people who are gig workers, self-employed, independent contractors have still been having difficulty getting their unemployment compensation. So we have a, a clear, tough road ahead. And that road is made more difficult because of the way spending patterns have changed. There's multiple sources of data, both private and from federal data, that show that spending by the top quarter of income earners in the United States has collapsed. The irony of this is overwhelmingly people who earn the top quarter of incomes in the U.S. are people who can work from home or remotely and generally have kept their jobs overwhelmingly and they account for two-thirds of the total decline in spending in the United States since we got into the whole coronavirus cycle. So this is going to make it more difficult for the economy to return. And the question may be, why are the top quarter of income earners not spending any money? Because they've still got their jobs, their jobs seem okay, everything seems other than that they're not living life like normally, that they're not spending. So typically they're not spending because this is one of the great ironies of life. People who are having to go to work, physical locations, and have been at more risk of losing their jobs, have continued to spend at normal levels. And they're people that have been in harm's way, much more likely to be in harm's way. The higher income earners, who are generally not in harm's way, seem to be, as a general rule, more frightened of coronavirus and are not outspending. And so until people gain confidence that coronavirus is not going to be a life-threatening or terminal illness for them, there's going to be less spending by higher-income individuals who 
Uh, this is the punchline. Most higher income earning individuals are older and risk from dying from coronavirus, except for people who have uh, uh, severe pre-existing conditions of certain types, the mortality risk doesn't really increase till after age 50. So the people who have so impacted the economy by reducing spending are on spending strike because they're concerned with the consequences to their lives of getting coronavirus. So that means we have to come up with effective means of holding down the number of infections, effectively treating the infections that people do get, or hopefully coming up with a vaccine. But until those things happen, it can be in combination or even any of the three scenarios will get people more confident in spending again. And so how do we do that? Well, I got to tell you a crazy thing. This is so out of left field, I don't even know what to say. But there is a fitness ring that you wear that looks like kind of like a wedding band, a big wedding band, made by a company called Aura that is from Finland, O-U-R-A. And they, by accident, have discovered that the data that they have has the ability to, with extreme apparent effectiveness, based on university studies here in the United States at University of California, UCSD, San Diego, and also at University of West Virginia, correlates that they can predict with great accuracy just from your data if you are having early symptoms of coronavirus before you feel anything and likely before you would become a spreader infectious to other people. The Las Vegas Sands, which owns the Venetian and Palazzo, and I don't know what other casinos they own, they have bought a thousand of these things to test for their casino workers. They're 300 bucks a pop, and if the information of the initial testing shows it to be valid, they say they're going to buy them for every employee of their casinos, which is nearly 10,000, so that people who come into their casinos will know that at least the employees are safe for them to be around. So I, of course, as combination fitness nut and as somebody really curious about this, I have ordered one of the, the Aura's, O-U-R-A, I guess that's how you pronounce it, Aura, and it is coming next week and I'm going to test it along with other people. I'll be like a guinea pig. And it would be great if there, whatever solution we come up with, where we're able to prevent the silent potential spreaders of coronavirus, that would be one of the things that bends the curve. So let's hope this weirdo freaky thing that was discovered, by the way, by someone who wears the ring and had been skiing in Austria. And so obviously this was a few months ago and came home and the ring was giving clear signals that his health wasn't right. And sure enough, a couple days later, he comes down with coronavirus, and that was a sample of one, right? But he contacted the company. They started testing 
does the data they collect give early warning that somebody's infected with coronavirus? And so far, they are finding that correlation in these studies. It's time for your questions that you posted at Clark.com ask. Producer Kim, who do you have a question from? All right. Up first, this came in from a couple of different people, specifically David and Debbie, both from the state of Georgia. They say something similar, which is basically they mailed in their tax returns close to the end of February and have not received a refund yet. They went online to look for their status and couldn't get an answer. They've also tried to contact the IRS by phone and it's impossible to speak to a human. Do you have any advice on what they should be doing? You're just not going to believe the answer what's happened with your return. If you don't file electronically and you mail in your return, the IRS has said that because employees have been working remotely, returns that were sent through the mail have been left in a storage facility and they're not being processed. Do you hear that? They're not being processed. And until they go back to a normal work regime, no uh, returns sent by the mail will be processed. So you have to wait and wait and wait. And I'm really sorry to have to tell you that. Joel? Clark Alley in Georgia says, I'm being offered two different options for a student loan financing. One is a variable rate at 2.74%, and the other is a fixed rate at 4.7%. So if you were me, which one would you pick? Fixed at 4.7, unless you were going to pay off that loan hyper quick. You know, we're in an unusual economic cycle with interest rates depressed. They're likely to stay depressed for uh, a significant number of years, but most student loan borrowers keep a loan out for a long, long time. And so going with the much higher fixed rate, in my opinion, if you're going to keep that loan out, for more than five years, going with the higher fixed rate would be the choice I would make. Kim? Andrea in Connecticut says, before the Hertz bankruptcy was announced, I made a Hertz car reservation for the first week in August through AAA. AAA confirms that my reservation still stands, but can I really rely on a car to be there for me? Or should I make arrangements with a different car rental company? So the problem for Hertz and the other car rental companies has been that they're stuck with these massive fleets and very, very little demand. Hertz is trying to liquidate vehicles in order to reduce the huge overhang of inventory they have versus the rental demand. But for now, I'm not hearing from anybody with Hertz or any other company that they're showing up and no vehicles are available. So that, I guess, if the um, travel market picks up a whole lot, I guess that could start happening, but it has not in any way so far. Uh, You should reshop your car, though, because car rental rates may well have dropped from your original booking with Hertz or somebody else. Joel? Clark Thomas in South Carolina says, can I use 401k money to invest in individual stocks? I'd like to use about twenty dollars or $25,000 that I have inside of my 401k. And which company would you recommend using that's good and has low commissions to do so? So you can't just do that. You can't do an individually um, driven plan like you would in an IRA in a 401k. 
rarely but occasionally 401k plans will permit you to invest in individual stocks rather than the preset list of funds that are available in the 401k but it is a very rare thing you're probably not likely to find that richard is with us on the clark howard show hi richard you're trying to make smart decisions with money you're investing in your overall financial picture and you got a question for me about that is that right yes i do clock that's correct so recently i asked my financial advisor if it would be a good idea to start paying down my house by paying more each month on the mortgage. He suggested to me to put that money in a brokerage account instead. This way, the money is available if my wife and I may need it for any reason. Now, I just want to make note, we do have an emergency fund of about a year. Uh, and uh, really, uh, at the end, this, would be, uh, this money that we uh, would save in that brokerage account would be used to Pay, pay down the mortgage before we retire and move, because I, I really want to be mortgage-free uh, after I retire, uh, you know, of course, and putting it towards paying the house off. I was it's wondering fantastic. what your advice is on I this. Tell I'm you. 57. It's, you said you're 57? Yeah. yeah, I'm 57, no kids, married, debt-free, except the house. Well, all right, so it's fantastic to be mortgage debt-free when you enter retirement, as long as you've done the other thing you've said, which is you've saved meaningful amounts of money so that because you can't eat your house, you've got the house paid off, let's say that that's the goal, and you've also done a good job putting money aside for your future. And it sounds like that's your picture, except you're not on a trend line to have that mortgage paid off. So let's go through the scenarios. What interest rate do you have on your mortgage? Oh, goodness. That would be a question for my wife, unfortunately. We just refinanced uh, probably about two years ago. Ah, um, okay. So we got some yeah. talking to do. And so did you take okay. out a new 30-year loan or a 15-year loan two years ago? No, it was 30-year. Okay. I What I'd like you to do is actually something different than the either-or you've posed to me. Mortgage rates okay. are at all-time record lows. And 15-year loans recently have been quoting at about 2.5% for people with solid credit. I can tell you okay. your 30-year you did two years ago isn't close to 2.5%. So, yeah, no, unfortunately, I wouldn't know at this point. Yeah, yeah but I can tell point. you it's not. So if you were mm -hmm. to refi and do a new 15-year loan or with the goal you had, go into a new 10-year loan, you would trend line... Mm -hmm to be paying down your mortgage to near zero even if you weren't making additional payments. But you'd be oh, wow. servicing it at very low cost. So instead right. of just paying extra on your existing loan each month, which, by the way, since you've done so well building financial cushion, I got no problem mm -hmm. with you doing that. But in your right. case, because of the unique opportunity existing today, Doing that refi would be my first priority. It automatically would dramatically shorten your term from the 28 years you have now to 10 or 15. Correct. Are you a member so, of a credit union yet? I am, yes. All right, so credit unions yes. are the only people I know that do 7- and 10-year mortgages. But going mm -hmm. to one and doing that 
will generate enormous savings for you in the carry cost, the interest cost for the loan, and you'll get towards that goal you want to be of being in retirement completely mortgage debt-free. Okay, great. I never quite thought of that, but I will certainly discuss this with my wife. Sounds like a great idea going forward. All right. Well, best to you, and I love that your financial house is so in order. It's great to have you here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you learning ways to keep more of what you have. Our websites are clark.com and clarkdeals.com. And I want to give a heads up on something that we haven't mentioned in probably two months. But there are a lot of people who are expecting stimulus checks who are never going to see them, who are eligible for them. How many people? 12 million is the latest guess on the number of people who have not actually completed paperwork that you need to do. See, if you are in a situation that for whatever reason, you don't have to file a tax return with the IRS, and there are a number of circumstances that could be the case, you aren't showing up in the system they need to pay you. And so you don't get the money that Congress allocated for you 1200 for each adult, 500 for each dependent, 16 and under in your household. So it's a actually very simple process for you to be able to create your uh, eligible, well, you're already eligible, but to get the money. But apparently this word hasn't gotten out a bit. So the IRS at irs.gov has a form called the non-filers tool it's uh you can find it right on the home page at irs.gov you fill out a very simple form and then the irs knows how to send you your money and will send it to you the way the system is set up is that if you don't fill out this form the deadlines in the fall by the way if you don't fill out the form, you forfeit your receipt ever of this money. And who couldn't on a tight budget use 1200 bucks for each adult in a household and 500 for each kid in a household? So please get this done. Now, on other federal business, thanks to the new statute, passed by the Congress just recently, the fourth coronavirus law that concerned the uh, payroll protection program for small businesses, not only did the rules become much more favorable for a business that's gotten one of these loans or still chooses to get one while there's money left, not only have the rules for forgiveness become much more business friendly, but as the result of Complaints coming from every direction. The U.S. Treasury, in its wisdom, has come up with a new form for applying for loan forgiveness that is nothing like the old form. Okay, so let me tell you, the original form for loan forgiveness was so complicated that CPAs 
had no chance of understanding how to fill it out helping a client. Well, a huge number of small businesses don't just have professionals on their speed dial that they can say, hey, help me with this paperwork. People were in a position um, to have to fill it out themselves. And that just was not possible. It was so complicated. So now the new form, which is called 3508EZ, I'm looking at it right now, and it is what it says. It is easy, and it will take probably, it looks to me like it'll take probably about, oh, 10 to 12 minutes to fill out. And then you have to have supporting documentation that's explained on the second page that you supply to your lender because it's your lender who will process your forgiveness transmittal. So they're going to require that you give them certain paperwork that the EZ calls for where you're able to verify to them the payroll actually made during the time period you're covering, which can be um, basically two to six months. And then you're able to list the other eligible expenses and provide documentation for those. So instead of this being something that only people with a staff of professionals available to them, which is not most small businesses that got payroll protection program loans, Instead of it being something that was an impossible-to-execute nightmare, with the new EZ that's available to smaller borrowers, the paperwork is streamlined, uh, pretty understandable, and you should be able to successfully do your application to the lender you used to get your loan forgiveness. And it's time for your questions that you posted for me at clark.com slash ask. Who's up? It's me, and this is from Kyle in Georgia. Kyle says, Clark, I work for a large company, and they have an open office plan and provide lockers for us to store our valuables. At the beginning of the pandemic, we thought we were only going to have to work from home for about two weeks, so many of us left valuables in those lockers. Now the company has extended their work from home indefinitely. My department may not even go back until a vaccine is developed. The problem is that my company won't let us go back into the property to get our personal property. I've tried to escalate this, but my requests are falling on deaf ears. Do you have any advice? So I've been reading about this, all the issues involved with workplaces that have stayed closed and those that are reopening and what your rights are as an employee and from everything I've read, that as statutes exist today, unless some state has protections that they have put in place, you have no rights with your employer. You are dependent on your employer doing the right thing. And I assume they have a small number of who they consider to be essential personnel there, some managers that are able to go in if items that you have that are personal are not of a sensitive nature, it seems to me that you might find a request considered to be reasonable at your employer if you said, hey, what if uh, so-and-so goes in 
and who's already there and gets my stuff for me and brings it out of the parking lot. Could we do that? But you're completely reliant on the company being flexible and cooperative with you because there's no requirement that they be so. Joel? Clark Allison in Wisconsin says, my city uh, sent their residents an optional water service line warranty plan. It's $150 annually, and it covers both water and sewer line repairs between the home and the public utility. It covers unlimited calls, up to $8,500 per call, and no deductible. 24-7 emergency repair that they set up, and they pay the bill directly. So I know you typically don't like warranties, but I was wondering about this one, only because it was fairly low cost, and those repairs can be quite high, even though they're kind of rare. So you said 150 a year? Uh, correct. So cities have been pushing this a lot for two reasons. One is that cities typically get commissions for using their access to you to promote these plans that are handled by a third party. City gets a cut of every person who signs up, and then the city personnel don't have people screaming at them when something goes wrong with the lines and you want the city to take care of it and they say, that's not us, that's you. So there's a dual thing why cities are uh, pushing these. As far as doing this, so think back over your lifetime of ownership. How many times have you ever had a problem that this would cover? And the coverage at 150 a year doesn't sound like a lot, but think of it over the years, how much money you're talking about you would be spending for something that if it happens is awful, but extremely rare. In addition, you can talk to your own homeowner's insurer and see if you can add a rider or additional coverage for this. And if you are able to with your homeowner's insurer, it's likely going to be much, much cheaper than the 150 being quoted by your city in this solicitation. Kim? Sean in Florida says, hello. So I was furloughed in April for four weeks and was collecting unemployment. I was called back to work in May. Problem is, I'm still getting unemployment money from my state. How do they know when I went back to work? Is it supposed to be up to me or my employer to let the state know? So the question goes back, and uh, Florida is an example of this, that they prefer for employers to do the application for their employees. If your employer did the application, your employer may have neglected to tell the state of Florida who's now working, who's been called back to work, and should not be receiving unemployment. You uh, will have a hard time reaching them, apparently, but you need to notify the state of Florida that you have received unemployment compensation that you're not supposed to have, because if you knowingly uh, get checks and just say, hey, nobody's ever going to notice this, if later they do notice, you've violated the law and don't mess with that. But if your employer did the initial application, please let them know that you're still getting the money and they need to notify the state that you're not supposed to be receiving it anymore. I know people would think it's just free money, right, Kim? Maybe. Yeah. Joel, who do you have a question from? Clark, this one comes from Angie in Louisiana. She says, I have a 30-year mortgage on a second home in our town that we rent out as an Airbnb. Should we consider refinancing it? Our current interest rate is 4.25%. Yes, 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 yes. 
<laughs> there, there's no grade of that one. Even though it's an investment property and you'll have to pay a higher than market interest rate for doing that refi, usually about half a point to five-eighths of a point higher than market, the market rates are so low, if your credit standing is solid, you may well be looking at a rate somewhere in the twos. One other thing, you said you're in a 30-year. If the money you're receiving in income as an Airbnb is sufficient, maybe you look at a 15-year loan because those have been quoting down about two and a half. For you, that would end up being around three to three and an A somewhere in there is what you'd end up paying. And so the long-term savings to you, if you can afford the higher monthly on the 15-year, would be extraordinary. Daryl joins us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Daryl. Hey, Clark. How are you doing today? Great, thank you. So you're someone who is another airline ticket refugee. We are hearing from so many. (laughs) Yes, sir. Sure am. What's your scoop? Yeah, so every year, four or five families from around the United States, we get together for a group vacation, and this year we're going to Yellowstone. And I bought my airline tickets from South Carolina to Wyoming back in January. We had great tickets, one stop. I think we were going through Chicago. We were leaving at 1 p.m. We arrived, I think, 6 or 7 o'clock local time. Great flights. Well, as it will happen, you know, The flights have been changed and changed and changed. And the last change that we just received is we now have to depart at 7 in the morning. And we have three legs now. So we were going to change planes twice. Yes. Yes. Now we were going to have one flight through Chicago. Now we're going through Houston and Denver, Colorado before we go to Wyoming. I mean, you just helped me decode who you're flying. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. So with a double flight change you stand a big chance that something's going to go wrong. In one flight change, you can have a misconnect, you can get stranded. You change planes twice, it's going to be really tough. And don't expect your bags to show up in Wyoming. That's my wife's biggest concern. So that that is a, a real fear. You have, with a schedule change that great, you have the right to a full refund, but then... Have you looked to see, are there other flights on other airlines that would work for you? Yeah, so I called them, and that's what they said. And I looked yesterday on Google Flights, and there is nothing. They're all three or four legs now to get to Wyoming. uh, Where in South Carolina are you? Charleston, South Carolina. Okay. I'm trying to think. If you you have Charlotte that would be – Yep. Is that – Three hours from you, two and a half? Yeah, two and a half, three hours, roughly. And Atlanta would be four and a half? Yeah, Atlanta's a little bit further. It's about four and a half to five. So really, Charlotte would be your one. Jacksonville's actually not that far either. Jacksonville's only three hours. Okay, so you're thinking the way I am. Have you checked to see if there's a better flight schedule at a decent price from Charlotte or from Jacksonville to go out to Yellowstone? I haven't. I have not checked the other airports yet. And the, the problem is we're leaving in two weeks, right? So now we're inside this two-week window. The flights are not that – even all the flights I've seen are very expensive now. They're way more expensive than what I paid. And I paid 
you know, I paid a premium. I thought I paid a premium back in January. Here's what your wife needs to do. The airline's not going to make any accommodation for you. United is going to do nothing for you if you go as scheduled. They're not going to give you credit towards future travel. They're going to do nothing unless you have some well, kind of what, high... That's st- what they said. Yeah. yeah. I asked. I just said, hey, can you give us free bags or something like that to help compensate? No, and we're United like, nope. Airlines. We do nothing for you. Yeah. yeah. yeah so that's, that's their slogan. That's my new slogan for them. Yeah. So... Your wife needs to pack a carry-on with everything in it that would be just terrible for this Wyoming trip if it didn't get there. Yeah. Because you got to be prepared. There are going to be bags that if they all show up after two plane changes, it will be uh, almost a miracle. Yeah, I agree. And I mean, and what, the way I explained it to when I called them, I said, well, now I've, I was going to have somebody take me to the airport. Now I've got to have an Uber because nobody, none of my friends want to take me at seven in the morning. You know, I got to leave at five in the morning to get to the airport sure. to catch a 7 a.m. flight. And they were, I mean, they were just like, uh, we understand, but. No, they don't understand and they don't care. <laughs> I mean, that's the truth. I mean, we've had more complaints about United than any other airline by far since coronavirus disruption started. So yeah, that's disappointing. Uh, I mean, I was polite to the lady, and the lady was polite to me, but she was just like, I, I apologize. They're not allowed They're, to do anything for you. Yeah, she, that was my that's impression. She was not allowed to do anything. Right. So you, I just hope that you get there like you want to and that you have just the best time. But okay, that day, well. having to get up at like 4.30 in the morning to then leave your house at 5 and get to the airport, and then you're going to have the two-hour time change, that's going to be like the longest day ever. But it'll be worth it because it's such a great, great experience. And, Daryl, I'm sorry that that the disruptions with the flights has impacted you this way. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. Thanks for joining us today. The Clark Howard Show is produced by Kim Drobes, Joel Larsgaard, Deborah Reese, and Jim Ayers. And remember, 24 hours a day, we're there to serve you at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com.